So if you'll turn to the book of Galatians, we will come to its conclusion tonight. Uh, If you remember, we have uh, tackled the uh, aspects about um, are the cross that we are called to carry. And Paul's perspective on that, uh, when we looked at the fact that when we uh, carry that, that there's some evidence that that's what we glory in, and we see the working of God in our lives, sometimes um, by what we have endured um, for Christ. And Paul has taken time to share that with his own hand, that there are those who seek to avoid problems by compromise, and then there are those that will embrace it by standing firm and in the obvious trouble that comes from that. And so he shares that while the motivation for these others was to avoid suffering persecution, we find that he, because he had endured it and the evidence of it was on his body, the beatings that he had taken, uh, and their results that, uh, he says, no, no one trouble me. But we skipped a little portion of Scripture. I realize this is two weeks ago, because last week, of course, we had Pastor Predestin with us um, and had a great time with him. But uh, So you might have to get a little refreshment there. So let's go ahead and read verses 11 through 18 of Galatians chapter 6. It's, it reads, See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand, As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire you to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation." And as any as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Let's go, Lord, in prayer as we get into the study, really, of just verses um, 14 and 15. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you again for this opportunity you give us to Take time aside to look into your word, and we pray that we might be challenged, encouraged, and strengthened by it, that your spirit might direct, and uh, that we might be attentive to your truth, not only with our ears, but with our hearts and minds. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. So we come, as you've heard me say over and over again throughout our study in Galatians, we come again to recognizing that these are some themes that are more developed in other books and extensively leaned on in some other passages. And we come to this really a final summary of, in a positive fashion really, of why and how we stand. And we have looked at the theology, the practicality, and and the calling of the community there, the believing community there in Galatia, to stand faster and liberty did not fall into the Judaizers' trap of getting you to say, well, you can accept Christ, but you also need to keep this law. 
And as soon as they say this law, and they might even say just one law, now you are really bound to keep them all um, when it's the Jewish law. And so he's, he's showing them the great danger that is there. He has spelled it out um, in terms of the covenants, uh, comparing uh, their fleshly arguments to uh, contrasting their fleshly arguments with the spiritual arguments of Christ. So we come down to a couple of verses, and here is going to be uh, the the seeds, the the origin of some uh, passages that Paul's going to that we are more comfortable with, we are more familiar with in other passages, uh, rather than this seed area, we're really uh, more familiar with some of the other ways that Paul uses this terminology and develops it. But this is where it originated in terms of his revelation of God revealing himself to Paul. So let's go ahead and uh, break this down a little bit and see these two themes. And they are not really separate themes. They are the same theme, two, two facets, two sides of this theme. Uh, one spoken in the negative and the other one in the positive, and both very brief. And they're very brief here before us, but again, that doesn't make them unimportant to Paul, and I think that's why he develops them so much more later on in some of his other writings. And so he tells us about the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ in the first half of verse 14, that that's where I'm going to boast. They want to boast in their flesh and keeping the law and being all this. They're going to boast in themselves. And ultimately, um, that's where Judaizing takes you, is that, well, Christ did so much and I did the rest. I mean, that's what it boils down to, is Christ did this much, I did the rest, and then let's, let, help me pat myself on my back. You know, let me break my arm doing that. And that's really the force of what he's saying. So he's saying, there's nothing that I'm going to... Uh, boast forward except for the cross of Christ, that that's where everything is in terms of who I am. And so we come now to the negative statement first, where he says that uh, this cross of our Lord, um, by whom, by him, by Christ, um, here in verse 14, by some, uh, some of your versions might have by which, referring to the cross rather than Jesus who hung on the cross, I personally prefer by whom, because it wasn't lots of people died on crosses. It's the person that was on there that was important. And so by whom, which is the preferred translation here in in the New King James, this is by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And uh, This is, again, something we've already picked up on back in Galatians chapter 2. We've already seen this theme, and so he's revisiting it. So let's go back there to chapter 2. And uh, the very well-stated declaration, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. And so again, this is the more famous, but as he concludes this book, he wants to go back to that declaration that when we look at the 
work of Christ, we are associating ourselves with his death in terms of putting to death something in us. And again, in Romans, Paul goes to great extent to talk about what it is that's being put to death in us. Um, when we, that we are that old self, that nature, and that all of that, that desire after sin, that desire after self, that desire after Satan is, 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 is put to death. Um, it is not destroyed, and we have taught extensively about that even back when we were in Galatians 2, um, but we have it on the cross. We have put it to death. It is powerless in and of itself. We have, uh, by putting our faith fully in Jesus Christ, we have, we have just disabled it. It would probably be the best way to date for us to think of this idea of putting it to death. We have disabled it. We have just extracted all of its power it, that we now have authority over it entirely. And God's expectation is, is that we will live accordingly. And that's what Paul shows forth. He is not proposing that if you're not going to live by the law, you're going to do whatever you want. Okay? Um, it, it is rather, I'm going to replace the law with a heart of flesh, with a spirit of the living God in me, whereby I am seeking to glorify God um, by living as Christ lives. That I am, and so when he says Christ lives in me, and that life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. And so that now characterizes my actions. And so the Judaizers... Uh, ridiculous accusation that Paul just wants everyone to do anything. You know, it's a whatever feels good, do it, is Paul's theology. Well, that's what the Judaizers were accusing Paul of. So he addresses it, nips it right in the bud. He says, no, no, um, they have totally misunderstood and totally got the wrong end of the stick here. Uh, I'm not calling you to abandon uh, righteousness. I'm calling to you to a righteousness that is higher than the law. And so the law becomes irrelevant. It becomes unnecessary um, because you are on another scale where you have crucified your flesh, you have put it to death, you have disempowered it, um, and now you've turned to Christ and invited him to empower this newness about you, which that's the positive side we're going to talk about here very quickly uh, and so he wants to talk about this whole idea of crucifying myself and putting it to death. That when we associate with Christ on a spiritual level, we are putting to death the old man. We are crucifying him. And this he develops. He has to develop it for the Romans as part of his uh, explanation of his uh, theology to them, who has, had not really ministered to in a personal way outside of that letter at that point. Um, he has to go back and visit that again and again with Corinthians, where he has to say, you can't sin like this. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? Why? Because genuine faith in God is the surrender of self. It is the crucifixion of yourself. It is um, my ambitions, my flesh, my um, will, if you even uh, to that extent, and, and particularly that extent, is there on the cross. I, I, I put it aside. I, I have 
slain it. And it's not something I want to pick up again. It's a dead thing. And so on the cross, that's where that, that man is. And now I am walking in this newness. But the newness can't happen if we haven't first done this act. And so he says, I don't boast in anything but the cross because it is the one who hung on the cross. That's who I live for. And it has put to death all these other ambitions. And boy, if anyone could claim ambitions, it's this guy, right? Do you remember Saul's ambitions? I mean, this is one ambitious guy. I mean, he was working his way up the ladder in Jerusalem uh, among the hierarchy of of Judaism. I mean, he had the best teacher. He was sat on the seat of Gamaliel. I mean, he rehearses this, remember, to the to uh, the Corinthians and sometimes to a few others. Uh, he has done a little bit of that here in Galatians. Um, but he rehearses all of this. He says, I, he was a man of ambition. Um, everyone else was content to just go after Christians in Jerusalem, but not Saul. He was ambitious. He's going to ask for permission to go chase them all over the Roman Empire if he has to. Uh, at least get to Damascus up north there. And when, when Paul says, I count this all as dung, as garbage, he says. All that ambition, I put it to rest. I slayed it. Slayed it? Slain it? Slew it. There we go. Slew it. Um, I killed it. I crucified it. It, it's, It's not the driving force or the defining force of me any longer. I am something else now. And that something else begins when we first surrender the old self. And we have a lot of people who want all the newness without discarding and putting to death the oldness. We want all the promises without the conditions, right? We want God to do all this stuff in us when we are unwilling to lay all this at the cross and to say, I'm surrender. I give it up. I, I, it, it didn't serve me well. Um, it certainly did not bring me closer to you. And so I trust entirely upon Jesus Christ. And so we see this time and again rear its, its head up in Paul's writing, and it should alert us that this is a very powerful concept. Paul here at the very end of the book, once of all the things he could have repeated out of the book of Galatians, he picked this. I'm crucified with Christ. This is the defining aspect of who I am. That old person isn't me anymore. And, of course, in Philippians, he, talk, he uses that, right? He goes through, all, that's where he talks about all these things I count uh, as lost, that I may gain the excellence of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And so before he gets to the newness, he wants to talk about crucifying the oldness. And this is hard work. And he reminds us of it, that when you look at the cross, don't just think of Christ dying there, Think of you dying there. That my ambitions, that my works, my uh, pride, my uh, uh, concept of of what it is that pleases God and what I, you know, how the world should function, uh, all of those ideas need to be dead there because they are warped and twisted by sin, and they are not going to be pleasing to God. And so this is his his 
repeated theme in much of his writing is that we put that to death. We, we crucify it there. And uh, it doesn't mean we don't have any ambition. It doesn't mean that we don't have uh, any activity that we're supposed to be involved in. It doesn't mean that we don't have... It's just that the old ones are gone. And this is really brought out in a word that Paul uses again in Romans is the transforming. You are transformed. You are going from one to another. In Corinthians, he talks about you know putting on righteousness, taking off, and and he also uses that for the resurrection. You put off your old man, put on the new. Um, but uh, he, he talks about the Christian life, and and of course, what act do we do symbolically to present that to the world? Is baptism. When we baptize, we are, and he talks about that that we are symbolically. Uh, telling people that I am dead and now I am someone else. This old person died with Christ, was buried with Christ, and now I am being resurrected to a newness. And of course, the ultimate original of that uh, imagery for us is who? Jesus Christ in John chapter 3. Right? What does he say? You must be born again. And Interesting that Nicodemus kind of goes in the direction most of us go. That there isn't a death first, there is just, well, I have to get born again, I have to, how does that work, you know? Well, you have to recognize that you're spiritually dead. You've never been, it's not born over again, (laughs) it's born differently. So when we talk about being born again, we're not talking about, doing anything that's happened in the past over again. We're talking about doing something new. And that takes us to the next verse here in Galatians. Um, but I don't want to miss the emphatic necessity of saying, I have crucified the flesh uh, in Christ. That, that those ambitions are gone. Those definitions of who I am are gone. Um, and now this is who I am. This is what I want. And are you going to be able to completely do that um on this side of glory uh probably not but it is the endeavor and paul i think in philippians is where paul really makes that clear for himself not that i've already achieved this but i press on and this is what the pressing on of the christian life is is that i continually fight this battle to put this stuff away to to distance myself from this deadness of my old man and embrace and cultivate the new man in me that is a creation not of my own making. It's not you redefining yourself. It's not going to make over and, and here I am, I've lost weight, I put on makeup and did my hair and, and uh, did my nails and here I am, look what I did to myself um, and it, or educated myself, or got a job, you know, whatever it was, you know, the geek in high school that turns into the flashy person in later life. Um, not that we remake ourselves, that is not what we're talking about. So let's get to what the newness is. And that takes us to the next verse here in Galatians chapter 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. He cannot leave the book without revisiting that one more time. But look at the last three words, or four words, sorry. But a new creation. What 
avails us. And let's go back what the but refers to. The what, if you, if you want to take this back to a verb, what is a new creation? It's what avails us. It is what benefits us. It is what now defines us. It is the culmination of the work of God on us. And of course, this idea of being a new creation is going to be carried on, and we're going to see it in other places. Um, of course, Corinthians is, is the big place where he talks about Let's go to 1 Corinthians. I haven't, I've been referencing all these things. I realize I'm not having you turn there, and I probably should be, but there's so many of them, and some of them I hope you're familiar with. Um, but let's go ahead and go to Corinthians. Um, it would be 1 Corinthians 7, right? Yeah. No, that's the wrong one. Um, that was the circumcision one. Sorry. Um, let me see my notes. That's also the circumcision one. I wrote down all the circumcision notes and I didn't write down the New creation notes. Where is the passage about all things are passed away, but all things become new? Is that Romans? I did terrible things, huh? I did not write it down, and it's escaping me. Twelve. There we go. Yeah, that sounds funny. Yeah, no, twelve is... Be transformed, yeah. Second Corinthians, <clears throat> what chapter? I'm sorry, what I was dealing with. Five seventeen. There we go. Why was that not in my notes? Second Corinthians five seventeen. Thank you. Sometimes my brain is not not where it should be. Let's back up a little bit and uh, see the negative again. Verse 14, For the love of Christ compels us because we judge this, that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves. Okay, you're not living for yourself. That's that condition. Um, But for him who died for them and rose again, therefore from now on we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore... If anyone is in Christ, which means that you have put to death the flesh, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing, counting, their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation and he talks about our ambassadorship and so we find that we that the old has passed away and so we are now a new creation and again paul's going to revisit this and revisit this and revisit this this new adam this uh, christ that's going to do this for all of us that that the regeneration um, is paul's favorite word probably for the for it more than new creation is is this regeneration. We are regenerated. And what regeneration means? Guess what it means? 
born over, born again. So when you read regeneration in Paul's writing, you can immediately connect that do-do-do-do-do-do with a dot to Jesus in John 3 of being born again. And so by the, in Titus he talks about other places, the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, that we are going to be re-given this new creation. We are made new. And so this new man, this regenerated ones, this reborn, um, this new creation, all of these are the same concept. And it is once we have gotten rid of the old, to be neutral is impossible. And so God gives us this new creation. He makes us anew. And this is not to say that now all your cells are different. And and, uh, I've had people say this, well, I shouldn't have to suffer for anything from before I got saved because that doesn't count against me. I've had people use that argument of why um, they can get remarried because they were divorced before they were saved or this sin happened before they were saved and they shouldn't have any consequences. Um, And if we are consistent in applying that, then no one who contracted HIV or has AIDS and gets saved should ever have AIDS after they get saved, right? Because it was from their sin before they got saved, and they could claim this verse. So obviously that's not what he's talking about. That's fleshly thinking. We are supposed to be spiritually thinking here. So put on our spiritual caps. So what is this new creation? That these things are passed away and all things have become new. And please note that, that um, have become, not will become. Now there is a facet of our the, the completion, the glorification of us that will have new bodies. Um, but from Paul's perspective, that's really not the focus here in Second Corinthians, nor in Galatians, but in your current living, you have this new person. You, you have a new will, a will that is surrendered to God, and God gives you the power to do righteousness, to do better than the law, to love and to have liberty to excel in things that are pleasing to God, that we are now capable, who are once incapable. We are incapable of pleasing God. Now, by this new work of God in us, we are now capable of pleasing God. We can do the right things. Even if on the outside they look identical, okay? So if we have someone who is a Judaizer type, walk up and, oh, the offering box is gone. Uh, walk up to the offering box and put in um, a $100 bill. Well, that's a good thing they've done, right? And then you have someone who has crucified their, themselves and are new creations, and they walk up into the same offering box with a $100 bill and put it in there. They've both done the same physical act, but one is acceptable to God and one is not. Why? Because the Judaizer walks up there with a proud spirit and saying, I'm doing this and now I have earned by doing this act. And that's not acceptable to God. Whereas the true believer who has crucified his flesh and is now walking in the spirit and is in the new man is doing this as a, as a declaration of love and gratitude and will never boast in it. Uh, will simply say, this is, this is so little 
compared to what you have done for me, and we do it as a, as I said, a, a service to him, as an act of, of giving him the first fruits, if you will, to just thank him for all the bounty that is ours in the physical realm, but also, more importantly, in the spiritual realm, we have this opportunity to use a little bit of our physical resources to make a spiritual gesture to God. And what a difference, what a contrast between those two. Even though the act on the, on the surface looks the same, there is a distinction, and God knows it. And that's why when Jesus says, who gave more today? You know, the rich guys that came in there and made a lot of noise and made sure everybody knew that they had given, or the poor little widow that dropped in all she had. Well, the widow had the right heart. She was, she was almost, you know, there's a humbleness there and a humility of, uh, this is all I have to give. Well, this is the attitude we should have to God. This is all I got. And it's really nothing compared to what you deserve. But it's all I have. And you've done so much for me and this is such a little thing. And that's true if you spend your all, exhaust all your resources for the kingdom of God, give your whole life, become an old decrepit man and uh, <laughs> like Jeremiah late in his life and and or Samuel, I think Samuel's a great example. I have time to retire, but I can't stop praying for you because that'd be sin. I still have to minister till I'm dead. It's the minimum. It's the least I can do. It would be sin not to. And that's the spirit and the heart of one with a new creation. So when we talk about the new creation, we're not, like I said, talking about you remaking yourself, but this is a work of the Holy Spirit, the work of God that, um, moves us, avails us, is the word there in Galatians, that, that benefits us, that now we have a will that can and should conquer the dead one. That now I have the resource at my disposal to do right and to do better right than the law. I can do righteousness better than the law. And this is what Christ in the Sermon on the Mount kept calling us to. You've heard it said, you know, this for the, but I tell you. You've heard it said, but I tell you. What's he calling to? Well, he calls you to a level of righteousness that is above the law. You worry about, well, I haven't killed anybody, but you hate your brother. Well, I haven't uh, committed adultery, but you lust after this woman. You're guilty. You need to have a righteousness that's higher than the law. Yeah, the law won't condemn you for your lust. The law won't condemn you for your hate. Um, but God will. And so, now that we are new creations, both in Corinthians and in Galatians, it's about we have the capacity, the ability now to live differently that we really didn't have until Christ comes into us, that we are empowered. And this is uh, a fascinating, it's no mistaking that Paul here in Corinthians, as well as in Galatians, is linking your new creation to your new assignment. Do you see it? 
What does he do? You're a new creation? Um, that's not just for you to walk around and say, I'm a new creation. Look at me. And I see this on some people's Facebook sites and stuff, you know. I'm a new creation in Christ. And they have these little things like you're walking around. And, and it's like, no. The reason you're a new creation in Christ is to be an ambassador for his kingdom. To put that benefit that God has generated in you to work for his kingdom. And so here in 2 Corinthians, what comes right after your new creation? Your ambassadors. What comes into it right after the new creation in, in Galatians? Well, I have the marks on my body of my service to God. What happens to it uh, over and over again is he goes right back to hurt your assignment. The new creation fundamentally is there to make you capable, able to fulfill the assignment that God has put forth for you until his coming. And what passage does that take you back to? Acts 1. You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. What for? To be witnesses. Well, part of our witnessing to the world is being a new person. It is the most powerful thing you can do to your co-workers, friends, family that knew you before you got saved, before you put that to death and put this to life, is radical change. Um, they should look and say, boy, what happened to you? This isn't what you were like in college. This isn't what you were like in high school. This isn't what you were like growing up in the house. What's, what's wrong with you? That's usually what they'll tell you now. What's wrong with you? Why don't you, why don't you any fun anymore? Which really just means, why won't you sin with us? It is that radical transformation that I think is kind of the starting blocks of your mission to reach the world for Christ. They see the difference Christ made. Can you imagine the people? Isn't that Saul of Tarsus? Isn't this the guy that wanted to kill everybody? That wanted to kill Christians? That wanted to slaughter? And, and Paul himself, in, a, in, in real humility and, and angst, says, that's who I was. In his testimony in Acts, he says, I, I thought that to serve God, I should try to kill these people. I hunted them. Um, and then I met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And then everyone says, can this be Saul? And it was the introduction of ministry was this new creation. And so don't think of the new creation just in terms of your personal battle against sin. If you boil it down to just that, you're going to be frustrated Really, the new creation is about a new purpose. That now I have this new ambition. That's why I used ambition earlier. I have this new drive. I have a drive to please God, to serve God by serving the gospel to others that really begins by me living something to them that's... Now, now remember, Paul's primary audience early on was Jews, and he's like, I'm going to live more righteous than them. Remember, the Pharisees of the day, they had all kinds of rules to get around the law for themselves, and they condemned everyone else. 
They were the loop. They were the lawyers. Okay, that's who they were. <laughs> they knew all the loopholes. They were the tax guys that knew all the loopholes and um, to get out of the law for themselves. But they held everyone else to it. Uh, and so Paul says, "I'm going to have righteousness that's higher than." And they they saw the transformation. They said, "Is this that man?" Why? Because his entire ambitions changed, radically changed, and that's what people should see in us. And not just so you say, yeah, this is what Christ did for me. No, so you can say, this is what Christ can do for you. And send you on your mission. And so this idea of isn't just confined to whether you're living a righteous life or not. It's about the assignment that God has given to you to reach others for Christ. And we initiate that by being different, by being transformed, by being regenerated, by being new. And the baptism is a great symbolic act, but frankly, the baptism is shamefully meaningless today. You know why? Because a lot of people have gotten baptized that never changed their life. Never did it. There's no change. So nobody, there's no association in anyone's mind. Oh, yeah, you have been different since that. Not that baptism saved you and that's where you became a new creation, but that's where you publicly declared it. And so they should have said, yeah, right about that time. And that's why we should get baptism and our salvation pretty close together and not spread out by years and things like that, so that they can say, yeah, around that time when you had this baptism, well, we know something happened before that, and that was you put to death, crucified yourself, your old ambition, old self, old sin, old nature, old man, um, and you're now you're walking in newness of life, and they should associate that, say, yeah, ever since he's been involved with that Christian group and got baptized, and it's been, he's been different. She's been weird ever since then. She's been, and that's where it starts. And that's not so you can say, yeah, I'm a better person now. <laughs> no, that's where you say, this is what Christ can do for you. What he's done for me. And so Paul, when we were in the book of Acts, look at his testimony. This is what I was. Then I met Christ and wham, everything changed. And now this is who I am. But it's not just for me that Christ did this. He did this for you too. And I wish it would be so for you, King Agrippa, and for you, you know, Felix, Festus. I I wish it would be for you. He wanted it for you. And they're like, you almost convinced us. I wish I could. Because that's the new creation at work. And so in, in many of the contexts where Paul talks about the new creation, it's no mistake, it's no accident that usually a verse or two afterwards, you're going to find some discussion about his mission. And that's true in Galatians as well. And so a couple of verses later, he's, talk, he's talking about, you know, walk according to this rule. He says, here's the marks of uh, the Lord Jesus in my body. Um, I've served him, and yeah, I've, there's some scars physically on me um, that speak of it. But those aren't, all veils are as evidence that I have done the, this work. I have crucified myself. I have 
been a new creation and I have served God as that new creation, as ambassadors of that kingdom. And so really in Corinthians and Philippians and other passages, he develops this idea that is in a seed form here for us um, at the end of, of Galatians. And so a very powerful presentation that of what do we want to remember out of Galatians? Uh, certainly the liberty facet that we talked about and the walk in the Spirit, but what can we put as an umbrella on it? And many people, when they talk about umbrella for Galatians, is don't be a Judaizer. Well, that doesn't mean a lot to a lot of people. I think a better umbrella that Paul wants to use is says, be crucified in Christ, but live. Not for yourself, but for him, for his kingdom. Be a new creation and serve him and worship him um, and put that into practice um, that you are going to serve the one you love because he loved you first and gave himself for you. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. We thank you for another strong reminder at the end of this book that we are to put to death. That's part of the defining aspect of our repentance, of our salvation. And then we are to put on this new man that with your help, by the regeneration of your Holy Spirit, by the transforming of our lives, our minds, our hearts, um, this new birth, this new creation, all of this, we just thank you for And we recognize now that this isn't uh, just for us to enjoy and to embellish, but rather this is power to do right and power to witness. And uh, we pray that we might press on in our endeavor to make both our putting away the flesh and embracing the spirit uh, active every day and in every environment that you place us. In Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen.